Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament, a chapter at a time, pretty much. And uh, we're uh, in the book of Acts now. And uh, in particular, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Now, we, we started last week, uh, two weeks ago, actually, in Acts, and we, we talked about Acts chapter 1. And then um, when Acts chapter 2 came uh, last week, rather than dig right into it, I, I sort of detoured a little bit, and we talked about the seven feasts of Israel. Um, because it, it just seemed important to me that you, you can see the connection between the events at the end of the book of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts, and that you, you see the tie-in to, uh, prophetically, to the Feast of Israel, the Seven Feasts. If you weren't here uh, for that, you may want to go and check out last week's message and, and dig into that. But, uh, in effect, we've had four of the seven feasts prophetically fulfilled um, through Pentecost. That was the fourth one. And that uh, the events of Jesus on the cross uh, fulfilled the first three, and they fit perfectly on every day that they should have happened the events of the cross took place and the resurrection and everything that should have happened happened on the exact day that it should have happened as the feast were celebrated. Um, and that, in, that uh, continues with Pentecost 50 days later as the Holy Spirit comes in and the first sort of harvest, big harvest celebration takes place and uh, Peter preaches and 3,000 are added to their number. And so um, that's what we're looking at Today, let's go ahead and we're going to read through Acts chapter 2 again. I know I read it last week, but uh, then, I, like I said, I went off and uh, talked about something different. So I want to read uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 47. You can follow along in your notes or open up your Bibles, however you want to do it. And let's read through these verses together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Livia near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose it's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said about him, I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is in my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Let's close. <laughs> Acts chapter 2 takes place on the day of Pentecost, as I said. And uh, it's, it's the inception of the church, if you would. The, the events that take place are the beginning um, of the church as we know it today. And uh, it takes place 50 days after the events of the crucifixion and resurrection. And because it was a, a feast, the Pentecost was happening, um, there were gathered there at that point in time um, God-fearing Jews, it says, from every nation under heaven because they would come to Jerusalem at this appointed time, this feast, to celebrate, if they could, to be part of the feast of Pentecost. Now, the 120 believers are hanging out together, um, most likely in a house somewhere near the temple, but it says house, and it, they might have been re referencing the temple, but it, probably they were, they were in a house, because that's, that's what it says. When a sound, I like this, it's a sound 
like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. So it's, it's the sound. You've got to check that out. Now, it's the sound of a violent wind. All right? So, so there's this big rushing wind noise. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, a couple of references here, very important, um, that, that we need to see uh, in this, and, and that's fire and, and wind that take place. Now, the, the, the word for spirit, which is pneuma, is related to the word in the Greek, um, which is translated wind. It's, it's got the same sort of root word, um, and it's P-N-O-E. And, and um, the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind is a, uh, from heaven, is a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the fullness of His coming. And so it's this, this picture that's being painted of what's taking place uh, that, that people are seeing. Then the fire is a picture of the presence of God because there's many places in the Old Testament where, where the Lord's presence is, is uh, known by fire. In Exodus 3.2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Uh, Moses saw that, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So that's kind of an interesting picture. And, uh, and, but it, that's, the Lord was speaking to Moses from the, you guys know about the burning bush, right? Exodus 13, 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. So, the, and there's more, but this, these are references to the presence of God and what's taking place powerfully as the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the believers that are gathered because they've been promised by Jesus this would happen and they've been waiting patiently for this time, for this moment. They've just been hanging out, waiting. Remember from Acts 1, they were told to wait, and then they were told when the, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to go and you're going to be, go be my witnesses. So they're waiting so they can get going. But they're waiting. You ever have to wait before you can get going? Most of the time, right? All right, now, there's some discussion about um, whether it was the 12 that were filled with the Spirit on that day, or all 120. And, and uh, the discussions go back and forth. Um, a couple of the reasons that some people believe it was just the 12 that this happened to was that it, it says um, they're referred to as the, the Galileans, which that group would have been known as. Um, and then Peter stands up with the 11, and so it, maybe it's just those guys. Um, reasons to believe it was all 120 um, include the fact that more than 12 languages are listed that people hear. Um, however, you know, you could account for that, that one of the apostles just speaks in several of the languages as time goes through. Um, and, and it's also very possible that the, the group, the majority of them would have been Galileans, so being referred to as Galileans is certainly a possibility. And that when the, when the Peter stands up with 11, it just sort of denotes their leadership. So um, you can, people take it either way on how they feel that's happening and what's going on there. Uh, that, that this event was just the 12, or it was all 120 that took place. I, you know, I, I believe it was all 120, but it could go the other way. So and, and I don't think that makes that much of a difference. I mean, if you hear people talking about it, that's why that gets talked about a little bit. Now, the tongues that were spoken were actual languages of the people of that entire area. 
Because the word that's used for tongues in this particular case is dialecto, which means language or dialect. That's where we get it. Um, there's another discussion we'll have about tongues as we move further on in the book of Acts, but we're not going to get there today because this uh, specific case is the Holy Spirit fills these guys and they begin speaking in other languages that are known to all of the people that are gathered there. And um, that's what catches their attention because here they are from all these other places and they're hearing the apostles speak to them in um, their own language. And all of the languages that they're hearing, um, what they're hearing are um, the wonders of God. They're talking about the wonders of God and in, in every instance they're praising God in the process. That's what these God-fearing Jews are hearing uh, come out of this group of believers. So you've got to imagine it was a, they were bewildered. You've got to imagine it was a pretty crazy thing for these guys to be hanging out and all of a sudden they start hearing the wonders of God and people praising them all in their own languages and it, all their languages are being spoken and, and so there's there's numerous ones that are happening in that place and and so you know they don't know what to make of it that's as you can you know that that's sensory overload and a lot of times when we go into sensory overload we don't have any idea what to make of something and they do what a lot of them do they just kind of start to laugh at it and go oh yeah they're all drunk that was sort of their, the way they were going to handle that. Look, those guys are all drunk. That doesn't really explain how come they can speak in all those languages, but it sort of gives them an opportunity to, to kind of just wipe the whole thing off. You know what I mean? Like, hey, remember them drunk guys? Wasn't that funny? Okay. <laughs> so they're bewildered. They, they make that sort of false accusation, but here's all these people, and they're... They're interested. They're there. And um, Peter stands up. And he addresses the crowd with this amazing message that he's about to preach. And uh, there's the, the, the message has one theme. Jesus is Messiah and Lord. That's the theme of the message of what's happening. And then he begins to present the message. In Acts 2, 14 through 21... Um, he starts his message with an interesting opening line by saying that what was going on was not the result of drunkenness, but was actually the fulfillment of prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And so he, he, he um, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, are the verses from Joel chapter 2, about what would take place at some point in time. And so it's a prophetic fulfillment of this pouring out of the Spirit and what's going to take place. And Peter begins to make these connections for these God-fearing Jews. And these would have been prophecies and things that they would have understood. They would have been, this, this would have been tying into them all sorts of things that may not have been tied in before. And then Peter goes on to talk about um, the ministry of Jesus. And in Acts 2.22, uh, he, he makes note of the fact that the, the miracles of Jesus... And the signs and the wonders that he did were God's way of verifying the words and the claims that Jesus made. And um, this was only 50 days since the, the crucifixion and resurrection. The, the talk of what he had done for the three years of his ministry would still be very well known and heard and understood and verified. There were so many people that witnessed what he did. It, wasn't a, it was never a matter of discussion whether he did it or not. It was he did these things. And now Peter is telling them he did these things in order... Uh, so that God could um, substantiate his message. 
And remember, all along in the gospel, the, the message was one that the, the religious leaders couldn't handle, um, even though they saw the signs and wonders. They just didn't like the package that it came in. They didn't like uh, Jesus, ultimately, and what that meant to them. They, they didn't like that he turned everything upside down. They didn't like that he cared about people. They had their deal set. They had their positions set. They, they were making their kickbacks and their money on the side. They had a, a pretty good gig going, and, they, and that was more important to them than, than God. And these were the supposed representatives of God. We've also said to you, as the church, we always need to be on guard, because it's very easy to become just like that and to miss God. It's very easy. It happens all the time. It's been what the church has done throughout the ages is it gets caught like that and misses out on the things of God because we get so stuck in our setup. It's, it's, it's just easy to do. And we, have to be, we always have to be vigilant that we, we're not allowing ourselves to get stuck and to become like the Pharisees. Or we can have the same things happen. So here comes, because think about it, God came to his people just like he said he would. They'd been waiting for him to come. And, and he had prepared them with the feasts. And here's, here comes Jesus, and he's fulfilling the feast prophetically that they've celebrated forever. And there's so many parts of the feast individually that you, you break them down, you can see it's a picture of Jesus. And yet they just didn't want to see it. And so they, they just didn't receive it. The, the, and the things that he did, and you know what, what happened. And then he goes on, he says, in verse 23, um, that the events of the cross were not an accident. Um, the cross was a divine necessity. You know, it had to be, it had to take place. Jesus knew full well when he came, that was the end. He knew what he was coming for, and he came willingly and obediently and went to the cross on our behalf. It had to happen because sin had to be dealt with once and for all. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. And, and so um, Peter says in verse 23 that the, the crucifixion, because, uh, you know, for some people they'd think, oh, well, look, you know, all that stuff is true, but now, you know, boom, he's dead. And so how could any of it be true? And Peter said, well, no, it's, it's not the end of the story. And in fact, the cross was a part of the plan all along. It had to take place. It was a divine necessity. In verse 24, um, he talks about the resurrection then. And, and it's another indication of the fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah who was to come because death could not keep a grip on him. Death couldn't hold him. And it was part of the process. And then he, he goes and explains it further with Scripture in verses um, 25 through 35. And in those 10 verses, there's four proofs of the Lord's resurrections and ascension, which include not only the fulfillment of prophecy, but eyewitness accounts. There's nothing stronger than an eyewitness account. I mean, I, and even in the court system today, if you've got an eyewitness, you really got something, right? I mean, it's, if somebody that saw it has tremendous credibility in the process. These guys were eyewitnesses of the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. I can't say eyewitnesses again because I'm starting to have a flashback to some movie. Eyewitnesses. <laughs> I apologize. And then 
Acts 2.30. So this is this amazing message. Peter preaches under the anointing of the Spirit, man. I mean, the Holy Spirit just come, you know, boom, sound of rushing wind, you know, and, and fires and, and, and the presence of God. And, you know, uh, he just stands up. And, and I love that it's Peter, right? Because he's the one that denied Christ three times. And Jesus has put him back in his spot. And John, we saw, I love me, feed my lambs. Peter that stands up and, and he just, this message, man, he just, he just lays it out there. He, he drops this message all tied in with scripture and Old Testament, you know, prophecy fulfilled. And there's eyewitnesses right here in the room who saw all this happen. And then he, in verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Pow. Well, they're, they're shell-shocked. And because it, it, it all makes sense to them. They hear it and, and they're, they're, they're open to the message under the anointing of the Spirit. And they're, they're convicted by the Spirit. I love the way that's called because if you've, ever, you've all experienced this, it says they were cut to the heart. That's what it feels like when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. You're cut right to the heart. It's like... <gasps> And you, you, you just want to get it right with God. You, you, the conviction is such that you just, God, I'm sorry. I want to make it right, God. Whatever, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. And they're cut to the heart. They're convicted by the Spirit. And, and their, their, their cry out is, what they want to know is, what do we do? So don't you, at some level, you've got to think that if it all makes sense to them all of a sudden, they might go, uh-oh, we missed it. What do we do? Is there, anything we can, is there anything we can do? And Peter says, yeah, repent and be baptized. And you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll become a part of what's going on right here and now. And um, 3,000 repent and are baptized and are added to the church that day. 3,000. That's a good start. And probably it was 3,000 men plus women and children just the way they counted not that women don't count just the way they counted back then so probably more but 3,000 that's a great message <laughs> isn't it that's a great message 3,000 boom and they're in and so that the church it, it springs into life just as Jesus said it would as as on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, and now the church that we know kicks into gear and, and begins to operate as the church. And it goes on in those next six verses at the end of Acts chapter 2, and it just starts talking about what the church looks like in the beginning. And, and it says that um, they received teaching from the apostles, that they fellowshiped together, and that they ate together. That's what the church did at that point in time. That's what the church looked like. And, and uh, they were, they were having a blast, sincere hearts, and people were being added to their number daily. Daily, people were being added. People were coming every day. People were coming, people were coming, people were coming. And that's what the church looked like. Now, as we continue on in the story uh, of Acts, we're going to see more and more in detail how the church operates and the things that began to happen and the things that Luke needed to record for us. And remember, I've told you that we're still the church. And, it, and while we're not adding to the Scripture any longer, because the, the canon is set and done, we don't add to it, the, 
the underlying idea of the concept of the acts of the disciples, the apostles, continues in us. It's what the church is doing and, and what the church is doing now. And, you know, I had this thought, and I'm going to close with this because it's, it's been something I've been praying about for a while, and uh, just about direction and our focus and the things that we do. The, see, those things that the church did are part of things that we'll do forever. Worship, fellowship, eating together. I think it's part of a... You know, people, how come you always eat together? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's in the Bible, right? I don't need those anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's part of what they did. You know, communion was way more about a meal than it, it, it is what we do today. I mean, we, the church has had to simplify it over time. And so, you know, we've kind of reduced it to a little thimble full of grape juice and a piece of a cracker. And, and I, I don't mean that bad because it's a remembrance, but it was way more of a meal. Um, this whole idea of communion and community and common union. And so we, we eat together. But anyway, this is what I've been thinking about. And, and uh, is, is it, see, the, the, the church that started, uh, obviously they've passed on and gone to be with the Lord. But they're still doing those things. That the part of the, the church that's gone on before us, you know what they're doing? They're worshiping, fellowshipping, they're eating together. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that those are the things that we get to do forever. That's going to be what's happening. That's, that's the kind of, it's going to be a big thing going on all the time. But there's one big difference between the church that's gone on before us and the church that's here right now. Because there's something they can't do that we can't. See, we can do all those things. We can worship, we can fellowship, we can eat, study, all those things. We can do all those things. The one thing that they can't do that we can is that, is that, they can't bring any more lost children to dad. We can't. And it has to be our heart. It's the only difference. It's, it's, it's the only difference. And so it has to be heart of the church. And you'll see it's their heart when they're there because people are being added daily because they cared about them. And they, they went out and purposely were used of God to draw people in to the church forever. And that's what he has to do with us. And so we've got to make sure we don't get off track. It's got to be a big part of our focus. All these things are cool. I love doing them. But it's always so that we can go and get lost children back to dad. Because that's the whole deal. That's what it's all about. That's what he's waiting for. That's why he came. You'll be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes. Here and there and throughout the world. And that's what's taking place today. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we continue on in the study of the book of Acts. But uh, that's good for tonight. And we'll stop it there. And we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about in the weeks ahead. But uh, if you're watching by video, thank you for watching. And um, if you need anything, you can call us, email us, write us, let us know. But we're going to go ahead and... Uh, do the prayer request here and we'll call it at night. So if you have prayer requests, why don't you pass them up to me and I will pray.